Welcome to Life Quest Liberty, live in-depth conversations with today's top writers, editors, and spiritual leaders concerning religious freedom around the world. On today's broadcast, we'll examine local and international factors that may be impacting your right to worship and obey God as your conscience dictates. I'm your Life Quest Liberty host, Charles Mills. Lincoln Steed, editor of Liberty Magazine, isn't the easiest man to reach. He's always jetting off to some distant place to deliver a sermon, hold a seminar, appear on television, or lead out in a convention. Recently, his secretary said he was in Punta Cana in the Dominican Republic for some meetings. Now that he's back, I've got him tied down here in the studio. I'd like for him to share with us what took place in the Dominican Republic and what he brought back personally from the experience. Lincoln, I hope those ropes aren't too tight on you, are they? And uh, which ropes are they? <laughs> the ones oh. I've got you tied down with here in the oh. studio. <laughs> no, no, they're so, they're almost invisible. Okay. <laughs> Good. <laughs> but I am I am tied here for half an hour. Yes, and, you and are. Willingly so, because it's a great privilege to be able to share with our listening audience on this program. And and uh, this time, yes, we want to talk about a conference that just concluded, and it was held April 24 to 26. In a convention hall, to be sure, but in the most uh, exotic of locations, in Punta Cana, Dominican Republic. Uh, I'd been to the Dominican Republic before with Dr. John Gratz, the uh, president of the IRLA, who works closely with me in this office here. That's the International gone, Religious Liberty Association? Is that yes, right? I should have spelled that out, International Religious Liberty Association. Uh, he and I had gone to... Um, the capital city of, of uh, Dominican Republic had a big rally, and it was sort of part of a, a specking out for later on doing what we did just a few days ago. Mm-hmm. But nothing prepared me for this event that we held in Punta Cana, which is really a, a holiday resort. Mm-hmm. When we'd gone to uh, Santo Domingo, the capital, you know, it's a big city, I think several plus millions of, mm-hmm. uh, of people there, a busy metropolis, and we'd stayed in a hotel at that time. But still, you knew next to you was just the churning masses of some very poor people, some of them. But at Punta Cana, there was nothing but these white beaches that stretched uh, for many miles along the the tip of that island. Uh, There didn't seem to be anything other than the few staff living next to the resorts. And we were in splendid isolation. I would feel guilty, except (laughs) there were nearly 800 people from all over the world that came there to attend the Seventh World Congress on Religious Freedom. Mm. And the uh, the net effect was that uh, obviously people enjoyed the sun. Not too many enjoyed the beach because I saw a, uh, there was a, a phenomenon I have never seen before. And, and it warms my heart, really. We had nearly those 800 people. We had, uh, I'm looking at the program now. We had a program that started at nine every morning, not real early. But started at 9, and it went through till uh, at least 5.30 p.m., mm-hmm. and then often there were evening programs, but at least 9 till 5.30, complicated programs, a combination of general sessions and breakouts, and I can't say that I saw any particular fall-off in attendance from one day to the next wow. or even within the day. Wow. And I've been to many conferences, and yes. it's variable. <laughs> yes. After the opening session, the opening morning, that afternoon, there might be half as many back. <laughs> By the time you get to the last day, it's just a sprinkling of people around the, the, the meeting room. Yeah. It sometimes can be downright embarrassing. Yeah. But people hung by for this. And the program was very good, but I think it was more than the program. I think 
the, the representation of people from all over the world, of course, there was a higher proportion from Latin America, South America, Central America, and the Caribbean. That's why we held it there. It was closer for them. But people were from all over the world, and I think they brought with them a recognition that these are serious times for religious freedom, that we need to know what we're talking about, we need to comprehend the issues, and we need to be active about protecting religious freedom for all people. What would you say, Lincoln, is the number one issue that they brought? What caused them to be so focused on these meetings? Well, you know, I'm sure they brought with them that awareness that's bigger than the conference. But yeah. the conference itself was was well targeted, I think, because it, the title, overall title, was secularism and religious freedom, hmm. conflict or partnership. Interesting. And it is interesting, and there are so many ramifications on this. Now, we're in the post-Soviet uh, communist era mm-hmm. when they were going to take over the world and, and destroy religion as the opiate of the people, Karl Marx put it. That was secularism. There was no living with it, really. It, it was implacably opposed to religion. But what we were discussing was the, the nuance now that has emerged, and, and there's a great irony in that the right sort of secularism is actually a better match for true religious freedom hmm. than even a religious state. The wrong sort, which there is really not much of the wrong sort, but yeah. it, it has existed. Yeah. The wrong sort is a secularism that is implacably opposed to religion. Hmm. Uh, the, uh, the sort of secularism that, that religious writers in America imagine, because I don't think it exists in America really, or at least not in any large degree, yeah. but a secularism that sees religion as an opponent and elevates its own viewpoint in the structural form of religion. Mm-hmm. In other words, it makes an article of faith about believing a secularist agenda. Okay. That's not the same as as the secularism that really has exemplified the United States, where you have a state that is not structured on religion, where the daily viewpoint is not colored by anyone's particular religious viewpoint, Mm -hmm. and there may be many people who have a thoroughly uh, secular, uh, non-religious way of looking at the entire universe, Mm -hmm. but that the government system is protective and uh, enabling for all sorts of religious practice or, or uh, even a non-practice of religion. Mm-hmm. So do you think they came to affirm that or to discover that? I think they came to uh, discover it. Okay. I mean, a number of us in the United States have long seen that advantage because mm-hmm. it's, it's really incorporated into the Constitution, but not in other countries is it so uh, self-evident. Mm-hmm. And I could tell by some of the presenters that they were struggling yes. with this reality. And, of course, where we had uh, the most uh, suspect speeches, in my view, were some of the speakers from the Latin American world, where the, the states throwing off uh, the control of a particular church. It was the Roman Catholic Church that, that came with Christopher Columbus. In yes. reality, it didn't just sort of gain hold, it came. Yeah. <laughs> For many social and, and legal reasons, they're, they're divesting themselves of that. But by and large, when the dust settles... They have a generally modern, uh, non-denominational outlook or legal outlook, but they have not cast that one church aside in the sense that it's just one among many. It still has a sort of a privileged status, Mm -hmm. but they maintain a sort of a pseudo-neutrality and and, uh, the state goes about its business. It's not openly supporting religion, Mm -hmm. but nestled next to them is this favorite child. (laughs) Yes. 
So, uh, you know, they were defending that many times, but we can see that they're moving in the right direction, but they haven't really obtained, uh, not so much that we want them to attain secularity, but they haven't obtained or, or attained to a certain secularity that is neutrally working with religion and, and enabling uh, religious expression. Now, as these countries that you mentioned, uh, as they do this, is there some pushback from the favorite child? Is the favorite child oh, squirming and making noises? Absolutely, yeah. and uh, th- that's nothing to do, really to do with that particular church. Any yeah. any group that had been in that position would would not want to give up their favors yeah. and privileges. Yeah. So there's yes, there's a little uh, reaction. Of course, t- t- not trying to pick on the Catholic Church when you talk further afield, like the uh, the ex uh, Soviet uh, republics, it's the uh, Eastern Orthodox Church that's in that sort of dynamic, mm-hmm. and they also are squirming and, and, and struggling to keep their privileged status. And, and very often in those countries, it's still seen as one and the same to be a citizen of that country and a member of that particular church. It's all rolled up together. Mm. So they really don't have secularism at all. One of the more interesting uh, speeches was given by a representative of uh, uh, the Cuban government. <laughs> you know, we're very close to Cuba yes, down there. Yes, uh, maybe some people don't understand where the Dominican Republic is. It's, it's right next to Cuba, and the island itself is divided in the middle, and on one side is Haiti, Haiti. and on the other is the Dominican Republic. But Haiti and, C- and Dominica are most different. Yes. There's a mountain range between yes. them. One is French-speaking, Haiti is French-speaking, and Dominican Republic is Hispanic, Spanish-speaking. More the... Uh, the old regime of the Spaniards, and of course Christopher Columbus established his headquarters there in Santa Domingo. There's this wonderful historical relics of the Spanish rule there. That country is very disparate, but it's not far from Cuba. And uh, we had a government representative from Cuba came and declaimed to us for quite a long time. <laughs> and of course I had a translator. They had a good translation service there. And we rolled our eyes quite a bit. We don't uh, censor people as they're speaking. (laughs) And if you took it at face value, they have absolute religious freedom. Absolute religious freedom. We know that's not so. But the encouraging thing from even in Cuba is that that uh, secular, socialist, communist regime is mellowing as the years go by. And they are opening it up. Uh, in many ways, not always, but in many ways, to the relatively unfettered uh, practice of faith. There are still a lot of social inhibitions mm-hmm. where, where uh, particularly minority religions like Seventh-day Adventists are, are not really well favored, but it's heading in the right direction. Uh, another speech that was most interesting was uh, a, a, a representative from uh, the Arab world, from uh, Jordan, I can't find his name right now, and it's probably best not to say it. But we had a representative there, and he he was not really in himself an authority on Islam, but he was a a leader from the Islamic world. And he gave, again, a speech that at some points we rolled our eyes because it didn't accord very well with what what we read in our newspapers and know is really happening there. Mm -hmm. But it's good to hear people put out, in essence, their wishes Wishes written as reality, mm-hmm, but, you know, according mm-hmm, to him, mm-hmm. Islam is a religion of peace. Islam is, is restricts nobody. Islam allows all religions to practice. <laughs> well, uh, you know, that's not as true as it should be. Yeah. 
but in a, in a conference like this, we allow people to, to be on their good behavior and encourage them to uh, express those views. And then I think they're more likely to go back and put them into, into action in, in, in a community like that. They see the advantage of openness and freedom and liberty of religious expression for all. So you're hoping that these people start believing their own PR then? To some degree, yeah. yes. <laughs> okay. I mean, the conference was a little bit more than that because yeah. we, the, I, uh, the IRLA uh, does have an agenda and we had key speakers that presented the IRLA viewpoint. But mm-hmm. you have to allow a, a platform for people to say their piece. And, and, of course, they're told ahead of time what we stand for. So mm-hmm. they're not likely to publicly challenge it. But a lot of what they say is, is not really correct. Let's put it that way all i never heard a dissenting voice the, the the attendees appreciated all of it it exposed them to a broad range of, of religious viewpoints uh, and many of the presentations were by uh, people with with academic uh, credentials in, in in different areas of religious practice and, and theory and you know, secularism in particular and i think it focused our minds on yes as i said not too long ago that secularism a neutral secularism can be the most benign and even empowering environment for religious practice. Right now, somewhere in the world, ADRA is changing a life. The Adventist Development and Relief Agency International maintains a presence in 125 countries. That means a child isn't going blind because someone is giving him a steady supply of vitamin A. That means a family is receiving the nourishment they need to stay healthy and prosper. That means hard-working people are gathering clean, fresh water from a local well rather than walking miles to draw from a polluted river. Would you like to help? Pick up the phone and call this number, 1-800-424-ADRA. That's 1-800-424-2372. Tell the operator that you'd like to partner with ADRA to make a difference in someone's life, someone you don't even know or visit www.adra.org. ADRA, changing the world one life at a time. We're talking with Lincoln Steed, editor of Liberty Magazine, about a gathering in Punta Cana recently, that he was down there with a convention that uh, he has helped sponsor, and a lot of people showed up from many countries, and they gave speeches, and they had seminars, and they, they learned What's possible? And I, I think, Lincoln, that's probably what they were after. They were trying to say, you know, what is possible? What can actually happen? If, if I take my dreams, where can they go? How can I run with them? And you provide that wonderful service. I'm curious to know, Lincoln, as you watch these countries emerging from what they used to be, a very tight, restrictive uh, society, to a more free and open society, are you a little concerned that they may 
do what our country seems to be doing, and that is just keep right on rolling where suddenly the the whole idea of religion is not simply accepted but is starting to be dictated, like a president saying same-sex marriage is fine because the Bible says do unto others as thou, thou wilt have them do unto you. Are you fearful of that? Well, not fearful of it. I'm certain of it. <laughs> <laughs> that's, what I, that's what I was trying to say. I think that's where we're heading here, and I think that may be in the back of your mind when you see these countries emerge. How do you put the brakes on? How do you say, okay, where you're heading is fine, country, whatever country it is, but, you know, there needs to be some pneumatics on your vehicle here. There needs to be a brake pedal where you reach a point where you say, okay, we have the freedom. Let's not dictate the freedom. Well, it's it's a very uh, dangerous situation, and and you know we don't claim that we're in control of the world. <laughs> we're all along for the ride, you yeah, know. Yes. <laughs> but the world is in a period of rapid change, and and I'm I'm reading a book on on uh, it's, I think it's something the title is something to the effect of the the world after George Bush. <laughs> uh, that got my attention, yeah. but it's really not it's about George Bush. But it pointed out something that's interesting that that the American system which isn't so much political as just an entrepreneurial, uh, capitalist-based freedom of expression and so on, you know, the whole package, that this viewpoint is really in the ascendancy, even though much of the world doesn't like America. It's been a victory over uh, entrenched world systems, and and most of the world, from communist China even to Cuba, is, is in the rapid process of emulating the general approach of the United States. And with that comes not just prosperity, and, and a social dynamism, but also, uh, you know, all the messy, nasty, uh, even immoral elements of an open society. Mm-hmm. So I don't know how to stop that. I mean, there's a danger in that, but we need to run that course to allow full freedom. So is that worse or, mm. or is that to be stopped versus what we see in many other countries where there's a, an ascendant faith? Uh, and Islam is just one of them. But, you know, I could pick on Islam in a country where, you know, the... the Remember, well, let's look at, at, at Afghanistan before the change. Mm-hmm. In Afghanistan, kids were stoned and, and imprisoned for flying kites. Women were imprisoned in the home and beat sometimes to death mm-hmm. because the husband didn't like what they were doing, where the, the religious police would beat people in the street if they showed a little bit too much ankle. Yeah. In other words, a repressive, violent society that was, in their view, upholding the moral dictates of their religious viewpoint. Mm. Well, if you're of their religious viewpoint, that was paradise. Yes. But when you look at it from an overall view of religious liberty for, for moral self-determination, it restricted every other view except that view. I think to break down those medieval constructs and allow people the right, even as it includes some bizarre self-indulgence, hmm. is in the aggregate an improvement. Are you thinking that other countries are finally getting it, that America is not the morally bankrupt, awful place, but the moral bankruptcy that they see is because America allows people the freedom to become morally bankrupt? Well, I don't think they're all getting that, but... But, the, but the, they should. The, I wish they would, as a matter of fact, because that's going to take a lot of pressure off of us. Because when someone does something stupid, uh, American does something stupid, I don't want an entire nation to be judged on that stupid person's actions. I think the, the U.S. is fulfilling a role of breaking up the old systems. And mm. it's not 
all because of our moral strength. I know on this program before I've mentioned Commodore Perry. Yes. Perry, wasn't it? Perry, yes. Uh, Perry the, the, the sailed into uh, Tokyo Harbor and uh, with the cannons leveled at the Shogun's Palace said, trade with us or we'll blow you out of the water. <laughs> That's not a very friendly act, but the net effect with that was to drag a country into the, mm-hmm. into the 19th century. Mm-hmm. And a lot of what the U.S. has done by encouraging free trade, uh, sometimes forcing it. Yes. <laughs> it's cultural uh, siren song to other, well, maybe culture is the wrong word, but you know, it's lifestyle siren song through Hollywood and all the rest. It's broken up the old uh, regimes and still is. You know, the Syrian thing is, is a big part of that. Yeah. People are restless because of what the West is most exemplified by the United States is holding out. It's, the, it's a mixed bag of things, of consumerism, of, uh, of, of, of possibilities for a country to, uh, to trade raw materials and get goods that will improve their, their lifestyle. It's ideas where, where like the, the guy in China recently, he can speak out against the government. Right, America right. encourages free speech, yeah. they feel, even though in some ways within the country it's diminishing it. It's not that we're consistent, but we are consistently a catalyst for change. Mm. Uh, with it goes some uh, horrible excesses. As I noted years ago when I went to uh, Latvia, right after the, the uh, collapse of communism and this, uh, the moment of self-determination, the U.S. was known there for bringing in video games and pornography and, mm. and, and, and Snickers bars. I noticed that Germany was bringing in heavy equipment and Italy construction equipment and so on. You know, sometimes our follow-through is not good, but I still believe the U.S. is in some ways winning because its its overall dynamic and the model that it represents is in the ascendancy in the world. And with that does come the possibility for spiritual self-determination. It's a great plus. Well, that's good news. Uh, I, I like I've told you before, I lived, I've lived in other countries and, and grew up in other countries, and America was judged so much on... The what I knew to be the exceptions to the rule. And finally, what I hear you saying, finally people are saying, okay, there are exceptions, but let's look past the exceptions and to the country that allows those exceptions. And I'm hoping yeah. other countries will do the same. So I think we're on the right track here. Yeah. Well, and some of it goes beyond America. Like uh, <laughs> Rumsfeld was very dismissive of, of uh, old Europe, <laughs> as you remember. Mm-hmm. But, you know, old Europe, while... I've said before on this program is a sort of a reinvention of the Holy Roman Empire. But as far as its mercantilist element and the progressive viewpoints that in some ways has tried to move beyond religion, which is not good, but Europe really is belatedly a sort of a model of the American experiment. Mm Lincoln, I, I have said often that uh, you are the expert, and I just need to ask you, and you tell me, let me ask you now, when you went to this program down there, this convention in Punta Cana in the Dominican Republic, did you learn anything? Did you come back with something that you just did not realize, or maybe something was strengthened in your mind, that, uh, that Lincoln Steed, editor of Liberty Magazine, was changed by it? Well, I learned something that I'm a little bit better typist than I thought. <laughs> better typist? <laughs> I, 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 I make no pretense to be a typist, but uh, John asked me to be the recording secretary. Uh-huh. Man, that was hard work, sitting there for three days typing in. I did uh, a total of about 30 pages of single-spaced uh, pricey of everything that went on. So that was uh, good. And, and because of that, I tried to analyze some of the speeches. Yes, and. Yes. 
what did I learn? I, I knew already about secularism. We'd had a meeting of experts in, uh, in Australia uh, last year where mm. we discussed this topic, so mm. it wasn't new to me. But it broadened my comprehension mm. of it from so many points. I learned, uh, as I said at the beginning, that, that there is an energy from all over the world, an enthusiasm for religious liberty that was edifying to me. I, I couldn't have expected quite that much. But these conferences function uh, as much on a, on a, on a uh, they just throw out a signal. You know, they, you can't educate people to change the world at one three-day event, but they can be energized. You know, the group consensus can sort of percolate out and make yes. a difference in many, yes. many places. Yes. And, and I'm hopeful that that will happen. Uh, somebody critiqued the program recently. I was talking to one of the organizers and they said that one of our people, they sent an email in and, you know, this didn't have enough on the pavement sort of practicality. There were not enough people from the ground level. Well, that's never true on an international <laughs> conference. That's why you have uh, national and even regional conferences. Yes. But on the level that it worked out, I think it was most successful. It was the, the largest ever, which isn't size isn't the most important, but there were representations all over. Of course, there were government representatives from, uh, from uh, the Dominican Republic. Mm -hmm. There were uh, even a, a couple of heads of state from, from the Caribbean area. There were uh, government representatives from, from Spain. There were church representatives mm -hmm. from all over. There was the head of the... Uh, Baptist uh, Alliance was there. The, uh, the high-ranking members of the, the Mormons were there. Uh, the head of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, Ted Wilson, gave a keynote address. It was well represented from religious and secular uh, viewpoints from all over the world. It was not just confined to those that lived in the backyard of the Punta Cana Resort, right, by right. no means. Well, that is good news. I, I know that you were energized by it. I know that you came back with a smile on your face because you realize that you are part of something. Liberty Magazine is part of something. This radio program is part of something that is really keeping a ball rolling. If we were not doing this, if we were not broadcasting, if we were not having these conventions, it's very possible that we would easily slip into complacency but uh, I think of these items, the, the magazine, the radio program, these conventions, as little, little cattle prods, gentle, wonderful cattle prods saying, keep moving, keep moving, keep doing what we need to do. Am I on the right track here? Absolutely. Yeah. At the end of the day, information, is, you know, knowledge is power, mm -hmm. but knowledge without enthusiasm isn't going to accomplish anything. So there's, there's something to be said for bringing people together and sharing and communicating just the energy and the excitement and the possibility thinking for what we all share in common. Mm -hmm. and, and I believe that this conference will resonate for years. It'll be five years until the next international IRLA conference, but there are many regional ones. I think the next regional one is in Sao Paulo, Brazil. Mm -hmm. In fact, Dr. John Gratz has already <laughs> gone elsewhere for, for uh, smaller regional conferences. He hasn't been back in the office more than one day that I can remember no. since then. It was good, worth discussing, worth sharing to our, our listeners on this program. They can go to the IRLA website and get a full report on it, mm -hmm. be it irla.org. Okay. There's a full report there with photographs. And, and, and don't think badly of us or me, by the way, if you go to that site, just the beach looks too good. <laughs> uh, my excuse is only once did I go to the beach. Uh, I uh, included in the hotel were sailing boats and I ah. took one out and uh, 
wasn't looking closely enough. The, the sail blocked my view, and I T-boned a, a Hobie cat and <laughs> punctured, punctured a hole in the side of it. Well, the adventures of Lincoln Steed. Boy, you, you let him out. Anything is possible. Lincoln, our time has flown by. Thank you very much. I'm not going to go sailing with you ever. No, I've never done it before. <laughs> Thank you for, for this report. We appreciate that very much. Again, that website, irla.org, and, of course, libertymagazine.org is another site that you can visit for more information about all the good things that are happening in the world of religious liberty. Until next time, this is Charles Mills along with Lincoln Steed, editor of Liberty Magazine, inviting you to rest in the freedom of God's love. Goodbye, everyone. You've been listening to LifeQuest Liberty. To further explore the issues discussed on today's program, visit www.libertymagazine.org. Join us again next week at this same time as we examine more of the threats and challenges facing your religious freedom. May God keep the flames of religious freedom burning in your heart today. <laughs>